0: And Welcome to Money Matters TV in our segment called Growth Stories, where we hear from entrepreneurs and advisors who share secrets and advice on what business owners need to know to grow. I'm your host, Mike Farrell VP with the Sharp Financial Group. The problem for business owners is fractured business and personal financial advice, and our solution is integrated financial management approach. We've unified business advisory, accounting and tax, investment banking, wealth management, and family office services to help create maximum value and help business owners and their families achieve extraordinary things. From time to time, issues involving life sciences, healthcare, technology companies may be discussed on this show. Those discussions are not and should not be viewed as financial advice. Moreover, since the show is pre-recorded and shown at a later date, some of those discussions may no longer be relevant. You should always seek advice from your financial advisor before entering into any financial transaction. I'm joined today by my co-host, Katie Wenger. Katie is a transaction and advisory associate with CBRE, a global real estate consulting firm. Katie focuses on helping high-growth companies in the Philadelphia region with their real estate strategies that support their business objectives. Katie is also a contributing member to the Philadelphia Alliance for Capital Technology and active in the Women's Network in Philadelphia. Katie, it's great to see you. Uh, obviously, we've turned the page on a new year, and it's, not, it's 2022, so um, love to hear a little bit about some of the projects you see keeping you busy or some of the things you might be working on coming into the new year.
1: It's great to see you too, Mike. I know, I can't believe it. 2022, here we are, but I think we have some exciting projects coming down the pike, um, you know, of course there's still that indecision out in the marketplace, but I think companies are ready to get back into the office. Employees are ready to, to turn that new page, as you had said, and, and kind of, you know, see what the new normal of, of the working world looks like. So we have some exciting stuff, but, um, you know, we continue to wait and see how everything transpires in the next year.
0: Well, that's great. Looking forward to uh, visiting that more throughout the year with you. Yeah. I guess with the new variant and things like that, it's, you know, a lot of questions in the air. So hopefully, we get some answers soon. Absolutely. Um, well, I'll tell you, I'm excited for our guest. Uh, somebody that didn't really see themselves as an entrepreneur, but, you know, had constant curiosity and a, and a thirst for learning, so many things we see with entrepreneurs. And that really put him in a position to um, work with some very on- successful entrepreneurs and also had an opportunity to emulate their success. So, really looking forward to digging in and hearing his story. Before we do that, though, we have, as we always do, a question from one of our viewers. And uh, this is a perfect one for you. I think uh, Ralph Whitman from Ardmore would like to know, is it better to rent, lease, or buy in today's commercial real estate market? So I'm sure that's a question you help your clients with a lot. Katie, looking forward to seeing that. Ralph.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for the question, Ralph. Um, that's a loaded question because there's a lot of moving dynamics in our marketplace today. I think... Dependent on the product, um, you know, we have the retail sector, the industrial sector, and, of course, the office sector. And, you know, everybody is seeing a different reaction based on the dynamics that COVID has created. So industrial continues to see really high rents um, and really just a, a lack of product. In, in the office market, we're seeing subleases hit the market, as well as some favorable deal terms if you're looking to rent. So it really depends on what you're looking for. And I think there's an opportunity out there for everyone.
0: Great. So, so thank you, Katie and Ralph. Hopefully that answers your question. And, you know, um, seeking the advice of folks like Katie to help you think through that is probably a great uh, next step to take if you're if you're uh, looking for uh, more in depth answers. There, it's always great to hear from our viewers. Here's how to send your questions in to Money Matters TV.
2: You can have your questions answered on Money Matters. Please go to our website, money-matters.tv.com, or on our homepage click on the banner on the right that says send us your questions while you're on our website you can find information about our hosts and guests as well as show notes and links about this show and past shows money matters is also available as a podcast on itunes and stitcher so you can listen to money matters while you're on the go that website address again is money m-o-n-e-y dash matters m-a-t-t-e-r-s com.
0: I mentioned a little bit about our next guest, but, uh, you know, I think uh, something interesting is that you'll find he came from very humble beginnings, uh, but he had a very strong support system, both in educators and mentors that he came across and always had that drive to want more and always innovate what came before him. Very key characteristics, I think you'll hear in this conversation today, led him down a very entrepreneurial path, gave him the opportunity to work uh, with some incredible visionaries became a co-founder himself, and he spent the last eight years coaching entrepreneurs. We're pleased to welcome the Growth Stories' Mike Kruppett, who's the founder of Trajectify and also the newly elected president of the Philadelphia Israeli Chamber of Commerce. Mike, Katie, and I are very happy to welcome you to Growth Stories, and we're really looking forward to digging in and hearing more about your story in, in the discussion today. So welcome.
2: Great. Thanks so much for having me, Mike and Katie. I'm excited to be here today.
0: Yes, it's great to see you, Mike. So thanks
1: for joining us. Um, We're really interested if you could give us a quick overview of Trajectify and uh, really what that company's all about.
2: Sure. Trajectify is a coaching firm that's focused on leadership development and organizational development and helping align those organizations around their business growth strategies with a focus on younger growth companies, perhaps 10 to 200 employees.
1: That's wonderful.
0: So, Mike, uh, we always try to take a step back, maybe uh, challenge your memory here, go back a little bit in time. But, you know, uh, we talk to many entrepreneurs, but we always like to see kind of what the foundation is. So you mentioned your humble beginnings and, and some a little bit about your background. But could you share more with us what it was like to grow up in the carpet household and maybe some of the influences that kind of created that path that you see? you saw it and then kind of led you down that entrepreneurial opportunities uh, where you ended up.
2: Sure. Uh, let's see, a very small family uh, in uh, in uh, the Bronx, New York, uh, so I grew up in New York City. Uh, my mother was stay at home. My father was a social worker for the Department of Welfare. I uh, worked in Fort Apache, the Bronx, um, <laughs> very um you know jewish upbringing very progressively um thinking um big focus on on education um and even though we didn't have a lot of means we you know it was they made sure that i went to whatever school would challenge me the most and and so academics was a big part of my upbringing
0: that that challenge that was a big part of it. We mentioned some of the educators talk a little bit about your educational experience and how that. I think I think you brought the desire to learn, but they really helped guide you to a path and really continue to help challenge you and put you in environments where you could challenge yourself. Yeah, it was
2: it was interesting in the in the seventies when I was in elementary school and middle school. The um, there was a movement in education to. To sort of remove barriers and, and structures from how kids um, learn, and I got to go to some brand new schools, some very progressive schools, all, all city schools though, where where they you know they removed the the walls from the classrooms and they removed you know how the the curriculum and they allowed kids to explore um, at their uh, you know their on their own paths. Um, took a great unified math course, and when I when I was you know s- steps ahead of of a lot of the other um, kids in my class you know the teachers would move me to another part of the room and just let me let me keep working on harder and harder stuff um, and and so all you know throughout throughout elementary and middle school i i, I really had free reigns of, of education and and it was reinforced at home with a a perfectionist sort of mother and perfectionist wiring in my in my own self And then I had the chance to go to the Bronx High School of Science, which was a specialized school um, not far from my home that that challenged me even more. In fact, to the point where I was surrounded by by kids who who um, who were probably, you know, smarter than me, more talented than me, that that sort of kept me on, um, you know, that gave me the opportunity to see what. that the, the limitations that I had previously seen really didn't exist and, and allowed me to, to go past where I thought I could go.
1: That's incredible. And, and that kind of pushed you, you know, when you head into your secondary school, did you, um, you know, move away or did you stay local? And, and what was your experience like I, that?
2: Yeah, I, I, I lived at, ho- I, I stayed local. I lived at home through my undergraduate. So I went to the City University of New York, Queens College for undergraduate, I, I had aspirations. I, I had great grades. Um, uh, aspirations to go to MIT, but I only made the wait list because I wasn't well-rounded enough. And 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 I don't I don't disagree with their decision. Um, I would have wanted to go to Brandeis as well, but um, we couldn't afford that. And so I got a I got a scholarship, probably worth about five hundred dollars a semester, to the City University. And um, it it. It, it opened up a lot of doors for me, right? It, it was a, it was a fine education. I got a really good education, but I also got a lot more than an education, right? I, I got I got treated in a way that 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 gave me the confidence that I could do whatever I wanted to do, right? It it it, it introduced me to to funders of the school. They they helped use the scholars the, they call them the Queen's College scholars for um, as as showpieces for the City Universities network as ways to help with fundraising. And so um, I got to meet a lot of people and participate in programs that I wouldn't have had had I gone to a, uh, um, you know, a school that was a little bit more, you know, higher end, but perhaps more sheltered.
0: What, what were your subjects? What were you really interested in? What what, what did you feel passionate? About?
2: Uh, so, so these are the these are the early days of um, of computer science. So there was a computer engineering degree, um, which was uh, more of a minor for me. My focus was applied mathematics. I was interested in in numbers and formulas and algorithms, and so I um, I had some some incredible uh, professors who. Who, who challenged me in in areas like numerical analysis and operations research, and and it really led me down the path towards becoming an academician in um, in uh, in mathematics and algorithms.
0: So, wh- so where do you go from there? What where where did you take uh, that? What was your first uh, experience so, outside of the Bronx?
2: So I was. Um, I decided to go to grad school. You know, if we're going to go, if we're going to stay in academics, we need a PhD. And I eventually got um, offers for fellowships from both Columbia University and Stanford University. And I'm thinking, you know what, maybe I need to break out of my comfort zone. And I'm headed to the West Coast. And I accepted the offer from Stanford University. And I moved there in the mid 80s. Uh, Spent a couple months at Stanford, realized it wasn't for me. I, I, and to some extent, I think it was—it was just Stanford. It was so, you know, I was a scrappy New Yorker, and Stanford is Stanford, and and, and maybe it wasn't me, but I also think maybe I just—I I thought I wanted to be in academics. I thought I wanted to be um, a, a, a theoretical, and and I think I just saw what was happening around me in Silicon Valley, and I said, "Nah, that's—I got to get my hands dirty."
0: Got the lore of silicon valley right that's, yeah that, that's a that's an amazing time right the burgeoning of that of that what we know so well today but i mean that that was the early days of when it was really starting to become something
2: i mean literally the days when you know startups were in the garages
0: right right what was uh what was your first work
2: experience yeah. So, um, so I didn't go to a startup only because that's not what I was used to. My my father is a social worker, had one employer his whole life. Pretty much everyone I was surrounded by had one employer their whole life. So it's like, I've got to go work for a big company. And, and there were no big Silicon Valley companies at the time for the most part. So I ended up at, at Lockheed Missiles in Space, um, LMSC, let's move some more chairs as we called it um, when you realize that that's how a big company operates. Um, I ended up with some some learning some great technology while i was waiting for my clearance i got to put satellites into space and um, work on some really hard math problems Um, the challenge was that really everything that i did was compartmentalized in a way either based upon a need to know because it was a government project or based upon the fact that it was a 20-year thir- project, and so I only got to do one small piece of it. Um, so so for me, it was, a, it, it was really challenging, but also incredibly frustrating. And this is, um, I think, a very pivotal point in my life when I had this incredible boss who saw what was happening to me, and I'll never forget. He probably doesn't remember this, but um, maybe maybe he does. But um, but I haven't seen him since. Um, he took me out to lunch, and he said, "Mike, I've been doing this for twenty years, and I'm stuck. I can't get out of defense. My entire career will be here." He says, "You have your whole career ahead of you. Get out while you can." <laughs> and and I did. I I um, I, I heeded his advice, um, and. And, and and i don't think he was trying to get rid of me i think he was truly invested in Pretty seeing healthy. me happy and, <laughs> and i ended up at a startup i ended up at a a 15 person startup the first company trying to put data onto a onto a cd rom
1: and what was that like i mean it sounds like you caught that entrepreneurial bug when you uh moved out west but you know that's a big jump so what was your first experience like and and how did it grow into you know now you're a coach for that type of work so um you know what was that first Inspiration that really kept you going all these years.
2: Um, you know, it, it's you know, in part the 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 risk, right? The risk. We when we see risk, it's most often a, most often a fear of the unknown, and so for me, it was just to say, all right, well, how am I going to confront those fears? Um, and you know, the thing was, I had a I had an engineering background, so I in Silicon Valley, I was probably pretty safe. Um, I had, a a, a, a a new, a new wife at the time who was going for her, her master's degree in special education. And so I was surrounded by, I, I had the resources to be safe, so I was able to take some risks. And, and so I jumped into these startups and all of a sudden I meet all of these people who were, who've taken far greater risks than I would have ever taken and whether it was through failures or successes have survived it and thrived and continued and and you know their their careers and their visions were quite inspirational and so for me it was really i think the first time in my in my in my career that i started to have role models and mentors and 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 try to emulate my my growth based upon what I was seeing in in others. Um, So this first startup, for example, was founded by uh, Tom Rolander and Gary Kildall, who who some people may recognize them as the creators of the CPM operating system, which way back in the 80s was the competitor to DOS. And they were both vying to sell their operating systems to IBM. Clearly, Microsoft won and, you know, um, and Bill Gates won. Um, but but you know Gary and Tom, who worked at the time for a company called Digital Research, uh, moved on and did some pretty incredible things after that. Um, even though they had you know lost out on the IBM deal to to Bill Gates,
1: that's incredible. Um, so you you know you had this wonderful experience. It sounds like at your first startup, but that just got you hooked. I'm sure you can share some other experiences as you continue to grow in that in that space. Would you mind sharing with us some some more yeah, oh, lessons learned? Well,
2: yeah, yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, so, so the next startup, uh, you know, that startup ultimately I, I became frustrated with in part because it had no full time management. Both Gary and Tom were were remote, and nobody was really um, um, uh, babysitting us. I guess <laughs> we were we were all right out of school, right? The, um, we had no babysitters. Um, anyhow, so it took me to a search company that was a little bit more established, and this was a fascinating time during search because these, this is years before Google, right? So this is when Jerry Yang was starting up Yahoo and we were working on search for the, both the uh, full-text search for both the government and for corporate America, again, pre-cloud, you know, none of this is client server, right? This all of this was running on your own proprietary systems, but I got to, I got to meet a lot of the pioneers in, in search, um, including at the time Oracle was starting up and Larry Ellison was saying, no, no, it's not about free form text. It's about structured data. And it was just a fascinating time to sort of become an expert in search. Um, I got to work with Steven jobs as he was launching next, because we were using their systems to deploy a search product for IBM. Um, and and so, um, so, so between those first two startups, I, I met a ton of uh, incredible Silicon Valley people decided for personal reasons to uh, move back to the East Coast and ended up in Philly because I think at that point, the New Yorker, I had outgrown the New Yorker in me, and so we decided to raise our family in Philly. And 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 yes, because we were raising our family in Philly, I shed all my uh, professional sports teams ties and we raised <laughs> our kids as, as Philadelphia fans uh, through and through.
1: we like to hear mike (laughs)
2: yes so so we all bleed green and bleed red um uh the um so i ended up at a at a startup in philadelphia with um with uh, marvin weinberger and josh koppelman and and it was josh's first startup out of out of penn and marvin was an incredible visionary and while we never quite found a product market fit um we we you know it was in the search space I continued to do some great work in search and we worked with Prodigy and CompuServe and AOL and and it was a um it 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 it's what got me onto the internet because we realized that we can't just have searches in these proprietary systems but this thing the called the World Wide Web was becoming more common so how do we take our technologies and bring it to the web Uh, I got to do so much, I mean, even at Infonautix, we we pioneered so many ideas that seem basic today. For example, having session IDs in your URL so you can maintain sessions, right? Nobody had thought about, nobody had really done that prior to us trying it, right? And it seems like it's real basic today, but those are the kind of um, pioneers We were the pioneers that needed to happen. The same thing, you know, when I was at knowledge set, putting data onto a CD or building the full text search, it was always about pioneering.
0: So did you start to, I'm sorry, Mike, I'm just curious. Did you start to see, I mean, now you've, you've really rubbed elbows with some, you mentioned some names and we all look at them on the pedestal, right? As some of the most incredible financially successful and, and just thoughtful entrepreneurs of our time do you start to see any patterns there or was there any connections that you could make that were similarities or, or were these just um, right place, right time with a a good head for risk and thinking like what, what tied that all together?
2: Um, uh, So a a few things first, they were all incredibly, incredibly smart people. Um, The, and, and look, and that's, that's, that comes—it's something that you're born with. That's that's a privilege that that you're afforded when you're when you're being raised. Um, but these were all incredibly smart people, which 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 challenged me. Um, I try to surround myself by people who had more, you know, intellectual capabilities than I, which which forced me to 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 think hard and grow. Um, I the, the other, you know, clearly they're all risk averse. And I don't want to say that they, you know, that they didn't consider risk, but they really faced the fears that risk is, is you know, that risk is based upon, and and they they overcame those fears. Um, and I think the third thing I noticed about a lot of them was that um, they didn't always follow the rules um and it's not that they weren't aware of the rules right there there are rules there are structures there are benefits to systems and processes um but they knew when to break the rules and they knew when to make their own rules and and that was you know ha- having grown up in a family where my father was a civil servant and we followed a, a you know a, a a script for generations after generations of how to raise a family and how to get educated Um, To watch these people go off script was really um, was really eye opening and inspiring for me.
0: But you mentioned, too, I mean, maybe that makes somebody who's raised in the kind of environment you are very uncomfortable. But some of those experiences you have when you think back on it, you were a little bit rebellious. Right. You although you weren't breaking outside of the rules, you were definitely willing to push the envelope a little bit. Yeah,
2: I was a so you know the the mathematician in me was was really based upon a, a wiring for science that that always had me questioning things, not necessarily breaking the rules, but um, I didn't I, I I had to prove things for myself. And so, for example, I, I you know I share the story that when I was a kid and and you know my mother would say don't touch the stove, it's hot. I would touch the stove, and my arm was in a cast for months. And when I was, um, my father had a, a razor blade to clean the algae off the inside of the fish tank, don't touch the razor blade, it's sharp. And I nearly cut my finger off trying to validate whether the razor was sharp. Um, and so I think I think having to experience it myself and, and prove it to myself is something that has been in my DNA um, all, uh, you know, since I was a young child.
0: That's interesting. Um, so... Fast forward to today, you're now helping impart some of these experiences and knowledge to other entrepreneurs. What what's that like? And and you know may, maybe maybe uh, give us some of that insight and in some of the things you're working on and helping uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah. So
2: so I I love the fact that I chose coaching because I'm not coming to anyone with the answers. I'm coming to people with the questions, and and the reason why it's effective is not because i know the answers because maybe i don't always know the answers but because i've sat in their sh- in their seat right i've been in their shoes i understand what it's like to try to face those fears to make those decisions to 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 solve those complex equations and so in the work that i do as a coach I have a ton of empathy, right? So I, I know how to ask the right questions, to listen carefully to their answers, to create challenges and accountability, but I do it from a place of, of caring because I've I've been where they've been. I can I can put myself into their space.
0: Really, yeah, empathize with them. What um what what are some of the things? I mean, what what when you look at some of the folks you've worked with and the ones that have been really successful, like what are some of the key um, points uh, or data or that you can kind of point back to to say, yeah, this is why this one made it. And this one struggled.
2: Uh, The, the ones who have made it are the ones who are able to operate at the edge of their comfort zone. The ones who, who, who don't just just sit there and take things for what they are, um, but who are willing to live an uncomfortable uh, li- live uncomfortably on a journey that has a lot of uncertainty in it and, and that's that's really um challenged a lot of us in these past couple of years, you know, through the pandemic because we're all faced with such uncertainty. You don't have to be an entrepreneur anymore to you know to 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 feel uncertain. And when you look at how that's changed the generations who are who are, who are coming into the workplace now, um, and why we might be experiencing the great resignation or the great reshuffle, it's because everyone has been pushed to the edge of their comfort zone. And, and that being said, I, you know, it gives me a lot of optimism for, for what's going to happen in the future of, of organizations and, and business and, and, and society as a whole.
0: It's interesting. I've heard a lot recently discussion about, you know, a trait for entrepreneurs and its resiliency. And if we're not in an environment that helps create resiliency, I don't know what is, you know? Precisely. Maybe there'll just be a whole flood of really phenomenal entrepreneurs coming up through the system uh, in in the near future. uh,
2: Right. There there was no script for how to get through the past two years. And and therefore, um, we've got a whole bunch of people who are willing to question the rules and break the rules and be uncomfortable.
0: So we mentioned your newly elected uh, Philadelphia Israeli Chamber of Commerce, and I know you've got some um, rethinking to do there in their business model. Just give us a, a brief overview of kind of what that, how that came about, and what some of the plans might be.
2: Yeah, I'm 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 really excited. I've been um, I've been on the board of the Philadelphia Israel Chamber of Commerce for four years, and. And um, it's an organization that helps build bridges between the tri-state area and and Israel in terms of technology and innovation. Uh, So it's an economic development um, focus, um, which I think, you know, I'd love to add some social impact focus to it as well during the, the, the term of my leadership with it. Uh, the um, but when you look at any nonprofit, the fact is that over the past couple of years, the events that we ran, the galas, the way we fundraised, um, is all completely different. We can't bring communities together the way we used to, um, in part because of the pandemic, in part because of, of 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 increased globalization and and distributed distributed communities and distributed workforces. So um, they asked me to step up based on my background in entrepreneurship and innovation and. You know being someone who'll question the rules, who help will who will help reframe the 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 situation and build a team who's really um, uh, very aggressive and resilient and open-minded about how to how to take the organization into its into its um, fourth decade.
0: Well, that sounds very exciting, Mike. As always, the time flies. We really enjoyed it. Uh, really great to dig into your background. The next guest for Money Matters TV is going to be Mickey McLaughlin. He's with Sand Trap Advisors. He's going to talk about electric vehicle charging stations. As a reminder, you can download the, pod, the show from podcast or the podcast from iTunes and Stitcher, as well as see the programs on the YouTube channel, money-matterstv.com. Thank you for joining us for Growth Stories.